Father, we love you, Lord. God, we need you. Lord, help us to be able to receive your word this morning. Again, uh, Lord, I ask that you'd take the weakness of my flesh and the stumbling of my mouth and that, Lord, you'd set that aside and, and that your word would have its way with our hearts and our lives. We don't wanna be like the people who see truth, but then, Lord, we don't do anything with it. And, and so, Lord, really, we're covering a lot of doctrine this morning. Uh, this gets us lined out in so much of the rest of our Bible. And so, God, I'm just asking that you'd give us eyes to see what your word says this morning. And then, Lord, um, thank you for the privilege to worship together. Thank you for the privilege to be able to get in your word together. Lord, thank you for the freedoms that we enjoy. God, we wanna ask that, that, that you'd help us to continue as a people of worship. And so, God, thank you for the opportunity to give and to be able to, out of everything that you've entrusted to us, Lord, as stewards, Lord, the privilege to manage everything as stewards, uh, Lord, to, to worship you tactically uh, in, in owning, as it were, the ministry. Uh, Lord, being co-laborers together to be responsible. Uh, Lord, thank you for the opportunity to, to, to support the work uh, here at 40th and Walnut and Lord, all over the world. And so God, would you bless the offerings? Uh, Lord, would you bless the worship in our giving that it might that it might multiply ministry around the world. Everyone who's responsible for a budget area, give wisdom and discernment. Uh, Lord, we, we, we wanna make full proof of the ministry that you've called us all to, and, and so God, help us this morning. We pray all in Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so we're gonna get right into it. Here in Genesis chapter three, we're seeing the temptation of man, and, and we saw the deception in verses one through six. Uh, Satan calls God out basically as a liar in verse four. He backs up the claim of verse four with a whole lot of truth in verse five, but he doesn't give all the truth. He doesn't tell Eve that hell is created for fallen gods, but he appeals to the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. Eve saw that the tree was pleasant to the eyes, it was good for food, and it was desired to make one wise. And so she took, she ate, she gave to her husband, he wasn't deceived, he outright rebelled against God in taking the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And then last time we saw the pronouncement of death in verses seven through 13. Um, God told man, the day that you eat thereof, you will surely die. And, and what we saw last time was this physical separation, right, spiritual death uh, is the first part, but, but, but we see the beginning, right? Spiritual death is the beginning of physical separation from God. Uh, by the end of this chapter, Adam and Eve will be driven out of the Garden of Eden. They will lose access to the tree of life. So this is, uh, you know, this is the beginning of the fulfillment of it. You know, spiritually, you're dead if you're not in relationship with your creator. Christ is our life. He is the way, the truth, and the life. You don't have a relationship with God outside of the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so their rebellion against God in taking this fruit separates them from the life of God. So spiritually they're dead. But then before we get out of the beginning chapters of Genesis, we're gonna find out that nobody, um, nobody lives past their first day. You say, well, what about Methuselah? He lived to be almost a 1,000 years of age. Well, yeah, so he didn't even make a whole day. 
We saw this key to understanding the Bible, the millennial day principle in 2 Peter chapter three. If you're gonna know your Bible, you gotta know this. Don't be ignorant of this one thing. A day with the Lord is as a, a thousand years and a thousand years as a, as a day. Methuselah doesn't break a grand, okay? Everybody in sin dies the day of the rebellion. And so we'll, we'll be careful to point all that out. Everything in the rest of this chapter is really God directing man at this point. So, Adam, who told you you were naked? Well, here's what happened, right? This woman you made for me, this woman you gave me, she's got a design flaw, okay? It's, it's really your fault, God, but this woman you gave me, she, she gave me the fruit and I ate. And then, okay, woman, what's up with that? Well, the serpent that was in the garden, he beguiled me and I ate, right? She's blaming the serpent. And so here come the pronouncements. Verse 14, and the Lord God said unto the serpent, because thou hast done this, thou art cursed above all cattle. There it is again, cattle. Thou art cursed above all cattle and above every beast of the field. Upon thy belly shalt thou go, and thus shalt thou eat all the days of thy life, and I will put enmity between thee and the woman, and between thy seed and her seed. It, her seed, shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. So right out of the chute, God is prophesying war between the woman's seed, and we'll see this is Christ, and the serpent, and the serpent seed, uh, Satan and Antichrist. But notice, the beginning of this curse, we see Satan is cursed above all cattle and the beasts of the field. When we looked at day six, and we saw the creation of the cattle and the beasts of the field, we pointed out the connection to the demonic host. Satan has a connection to the demonic host. But why specifically name cattle? Okay, if you'll remember when we were looking at day six and the creation of cattle, uh, two animals specifically named in the creation week, whales and cattle, and we look at the pictures there. But Genesis 1, verse 24, when cattle were made, the Bible says in verse 24, Genesis 1, 24, God said, let the earth bring forth a living creature after his kind, then specifically named as cattle, cattle and creeping thing, and the beast of the earth after his kind, and it was so. And God made the beasts of the earth after his kind and cattle after their kind and everything that creepeth upon the earth after his kind and God saw it that it was good and God said let us make man in our image. So in day six of creation, Genesis chapter one, cattle is mentioned first and then man comes. Notice the order, cattle named specifically then man. Now here in chapter three, the serpent, Lucifer, right? The serpent is cursed above all cattle. Again, cattle specifically named, and then man is cursed. So this is worth noting, right? We need to pay attention to this. Why is he saying to the serpent, you're cursed above all cattle? Uh, I always thought a snake was lower than a cattle. Sure doesn't, uh, lower than a cow, right? A, a, a snake certainly could not taste as good as a cow. Uh, so I knew that, I knew that much, okay? Uh, I grew up on a farm. You could, you could butcher a cow and realize, just the, the, as you're processing that meat, this, you'd think, this is gonna taste so good. You have to kill a snake. I've never one time in my life thought, I can't wait to eat this. That's never happened, okay? 
The serpent is cursed above all cattle. Remember Satan's connection to cattle, okay? We saw that he was the anointed cherub, the anointed cherub that covers the throne, the glory of God. Uh, He is the pinnacle of Christ's creation. And we saw by comparing scripture with scripture, we ran our cross references in the book of Ezekiel and we saw that a cherub face was what kind of face? It was a cow face, an ox face, right? They four had the face of an ox. They four cherub had the face of an ox, Ezekiel 1.10. That's a a cherub face, it's a a cow face, okay? So, So you see, this battle between this cherub and the children of Israel. For example, Israel's coming out of the promised land or out of the the land of bondage into the promised land, right? They're coming out of the slavery of Egypt and they should be on their way to living completely in the promises of God but as they go, they're getting the word of God and while they're getting the word of God, God's people fall into idolatry. Uh, they go immediately whoring after other gods. And in Exodus 32 and verse four, Aaron makes the golden calf, right? He receives the gold from the children of Israel. He fashions it with a graving tool after he had made it a golden, a molten calf. And they said, these be thy gods, O Israel, which brought thee up out of the land of Egypt. So here is this idol that has a cow face, it's a golden calf, and so Moses, he gets word, he comes to the camp, he sees the calf, look at verse 19. He sees the people partying, they're dancing, Moses gets angry, throws down the Ten Commandments, they break the calf, he burns it with fire, grinds it into powder, puts it in the water, makes the people, the, the, the children of Israel to drink it. Uh, basically, you're gonna, you're gonna poop out your God. Uh, it'll make them sick and, and then their, their God will be in the dung, okay? So Moses says to Aaron, what did this people unto thee that thou hast brought so great a sin upon them? And Aaron said, let not the anger of my Lord wax hot. Thou knowest the people that they are set on mischief. It's not my fault, it's theirs. For they said unto me, make us gods which shall go before us. As for Moses, this Moses, the man that brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we wot not what has become of him. And I said unto them, whatsoever or whosoever hath any gold, let them break it off. So they gave it me, then I cast it into the fire, and then bada boom, bada bing, lo and behold, there came out this calf. Well, of course, a calf's what came out of this pursuit of idolatry against God. Of course, a calf is what comes out of their pursuit whoring after other gods. Again, we made this point in the creation week study. Have you ever noticed how if you've studied history, if you've studied uh, the history of the heathen nations, you see Baal worship, you see the worship of bulls, of golden calves and, and uh, golden cows and, that, and, and whatnot, bronze cattle. Uh, you'll see the worship of that. Uh, a cow likes to be worshiped. Why is that? Uh, the closest I ever wanna get to admiring a cow is in the form of a ribeye steak on my plate. Uh, that, that is the, the way I can best appreciate a cow. Behind that, ice cream, okay? That, thank God for cows, it's wealth on a hoof. It's not made to be worshiped and yet, 
Even today, you can go, how many have been to India? You've visited the nation of India and you've seen, okay? You, you see that cow still wants worship. Well, there's a spiritual dynamic in play. There is a cherub with a cow face, with the face of, a, of an ox that desires the worship of men. Now, this serpent is cursed above all cattle. So after the tempt, so, so in other words, God, takes Satan and puts him in his place, okay? You're cursed above all cattle, and now you have to go upon your belly, okay? After the temptation, the serpent loses his legs. He's a dust eater, he crawls on his belly, and, and, and nothing changes, even in the future. The serpent never gets his legs back. Isaiah 65, verse 25, says the wolf, the wolf and the lamb shall feed together. This is talking about Christ's kingdom. And the lion shall eat straw like the bullock, and the dust shall be the serpent's meat. They shall not hurt nor destroy in all my holy mountain, saith the Lord. So the serpent will always be a dust eater. Now, look at verse 15, okay? This is where we really gotta get, uh, this is our first prophecy in the Bible. We wanna get this straight, because this, uh, this sets the rest of scripture in perspective. In verse 15, we see now proclaimed a battle over the seed. Okay, verse 15 is the first prophecy, the first promise of the coming Messiah, the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, this battle for the seed, we're gonna see it play out. Historically, we're gonna see it play out in Satan attacking the seed of the woman in the person of Israel. But prophetically, it's talking about the person of Christ. That's your next two blanks. But practically, Satan goes after the seed, not just with the people of Israel, not just with the person of Christ, but also the word of Christ. Practically, the battle for the seed is the word of God. In Matthew 13, you remember the, the, the parable of the sower and the seed. And then Jesus says very plainly, you know, what does the seed represent in this parable? The sower sows the seed. Some, ba- some, you know, some ground doesn't produce any fruit, you know, other ground, man, the birds mess it up, whatever. Um, so, some, some seed will bear, right, um, 40, 60, or 100 fold. He, he says explicitly, the seed is the word of God. This is seed, that if you will receive it into your heart, it will take root and it will bear fruit. Satan has always attacked the word of Christ, but ultimately in Genesis 3.15, your seed, there'll be enmity between thy seed and the seed of the woman, okay? That seed is the person of Christ. Galatians 3.16 shows that ultimately this seed is Christ. Galatians 3.16, now to Abraham and his seed were the promises made. He saith not, and to seeds as of many, but as of one, and to thy seed, which is Christ. So Genesis 3.15 is a proclamation of the coming of Christ. Adam and Eve messed up, they rebelled. They're in sin against their God. And there is no hope. They have been, they have been Eve was beguiled by the devil. Adam joins her in her sin. He is not beguiled, he rebels against the word of the Lord. And so they're cut off from the life of God. Satan has gotten over on them. Well, how can they be redeemed? How can they be pulled back out of this bondage of Satan? Well, the Redeemer must come. 
This is the first gospel, Genesis 3.15. He, Jesus, will crush the head of Satan. He will crush the head, the, the power, the authority of the serpent. And notice, look at Genesis 3.15. I will put enmity between thee and the woman and between thy seed, so Satan has a seed, and her seed. The woman has a seed. We've already seen that that is ultimately Jesus himself. So it's between her seed, Christ, and thy seed. Well, that'll be Antichrist. See, what happened was Satan bruised Christ's heel on the cross of Calvary. That's where Christ tastes death. But the final fulfillment of the bruising of Satan's head is yet future at the second coming of Christ, okay? Uh, People say, well, didn't Jesus conquer Satan at Calvary? Well, Satan lost his rights to lost humanity at Calvary. Now whosoever will, right, can believe on the gospel of Jesus Christ. They can believe on Christ as their sin bearer, as their redeemer, and be born again. They can have new life in Christ. So Satan loses his grip on humanity, but, but the crushing of Satan's head is yet future. After Calvary, after Christ died, he was buried and he rose again. God writes to the church in Romans 16, 20, right? This, this is the word of God's promise to us. Romans 16, 20 says, and the God of peace shall bruise Satan under your feet shortly. It's yet future. So at the second coming of Christ, okay, and this is basically how it breaks down. When Christ came the first time, he came as the Lamb of God to take away the sin of the world. But when he comes the second time, it's as conqueror. It's the lion of the tribe of Judah. Uh, the way the prophecies all line out is the next item on the prophecy calendar for the church will be the rapture. Christ comes in secret to catch away his bride. During, af- after the rapture, there will be the judgment seat of Christ in heaven. Great tribulation will unfold on earth. <clears throat> after seven years, Christ returns with his bride to rule and reign for a thousand years. This is where the Antichrist will be defeated. Uh, The Antichrist and his false prophet will go straight to hell. Satan will be captured and put in the bottomless pit for a thousand years. At the end of the thousand years, Satan, the end of the day of the Lord, the thousand year reign of Christ, Satan is, the Bible said, loosed for a little season and he goes out and he deceives the nations. And uh, a lot of global heads buy into what Satan is selling at the end of that thousand year reign. Why is this alien ruling over us? Okay, so they, they, they form another Gog-Magog coalition and they're gonna go to war against Christ at the end of the day of the Lord. And the father's like, I had enough. He hits the reset button, fire falls down from God out of heaven. It destroys the heaven and the earth. Second Peter three talks about the elements of creation mer- melting with fervent heat. And then at the end of Revelation chapter 20, after this attempt at war against Christ, at the end of the millennial reign of Christ, everything's gone. Literally, souls are standing upon nothing, okay, before a great white throne. And it's in this judgment that sin and death are finally judged and cast into a lake of fire along with Lucifer, that that serpent, will be completely destroyed. He will be consigned to eternal hell 
to a, to a lake of fire for eternity, Jesus will crush him, okay? This is yet future, okay? So there's, there, there it is in a nutshell. Okay, now watch the, the curse now unfold on humanity, verse 16. Unto the woman, he said, I will greatly multiply thy sorrow and thy conception. Um, all the guys think that conception is just awesome and a whole lot of fun. But, but pay attention to what the Bible is saying here. Unto the woman, he said, I will greatly multiply thy sorrow and thy conception. In sorrow shalt thou bring forth children, and thy desire shall be to thy husband, and he shall rule over thee. So to the woman, what's the pronouncement? Well, it's woe. Woe is your next blank. He says, I'll multiply thy sorrow. You're gonna have pain, grief, and labor multiplied to you. I will multiply thy sorrow. Aunt Patty's gonna move in once a month. Everything changes. Read Leviticus 12 and 15. Uh, a, 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 a woman has a flow of blood that's part of the menstrual cycle, and notice this comes in response to the curse. And I think any woman would agree. Aunt Patty coming to see you once a month is there's oh great Aunt Patty's here. This is so wonderful. I love it. Uh, no, it's inconvenient, right? There's extra work with that, and and in Levitic in Leviticus this in terms of ritual purity, that's a time of uncleanness. And once Patty goes back wherever she goes, then the, the, the woman can move forward in the regular life, the, the religious or ritual life of the, of the people. Uh, so there's that hassle, but notice it's a flow, it's a regular flow of blood that's part of the curse of sin, so don't miss the picture. Blood must be shed in response to sin. So even that is pointing uh, to the need of shed blood for a covering or the washing away of sin. But notice, in sorrow you conceive. Okay, I will greatly multiply thy sorrow and thy conception. In other words, in sorrow shalt thou, thou shalt bring forth children. And when the pregnancy starts, everybody's like, oh, wonderful, this is so great, we're gonna have a baby. And then the throwing up starts. And there's throwing up for anywhere from two to four months, lots of barfing, and then, and then, and then it's so hot because there's a, little, uh, there's a bun in the oven. And if you're, if you're like in your third trimester from June to August, I mean, oh, it's so hot. And then, and then, and then the contractions start. And uh, nobody, right, pushing out a baby. I mean, these, contra- these contractions can go for weeks. Nobody's like, nobody's like, oh, this is so wonderful. These contractions, they feel so good. It's just so, it's so invigorating. And the hills are alive with it. No, it is labor, right? It is labor. It, it, the, uh, people talk about, people talk about it being as close to death as a woman can come. Uh, giving birth to a child, okay? In sorrow, it's through the labor of childbirth you'll bring forth children. Um, so yeah, making babies is hard. That's, uh, that's, that's, part of, that's part of it. Making babies is hard, but so is submitting to your man. Notice the, cur- the curse keeps going. And thy desire shall be to thy husband, and he shall rule over thee. 
So to the woman, want or desire to the husband. There was always a difference between man and woman because woman was taken out of man, right? Eve was taken and made from a rib. She was taken from Adam's side so that she could be a helpmeet. She was made by God to be his companion, but to help him fulfill the mission that God had over his life. If it's up to the man to have the baby, uh, the first time, you know, if, if man could, could reproduce asexually, there would be one baby born, and then that would be the end of humanity. Um, Adam would have said, I would rather die than have children. And I, I think that'd be an accurate evaluation of, thank God, thank God for our wives. Man, praise the Lord. They are absolutely tougher than we are. <laughs> they're, they're made to produce, to bear the fruit. That, that's how God designed them. Uh, but now there's a, a significant, what God's pronouncing on Eve is an increase in her dependence upon Adam for provision and protection. 1 Corinthians 11, 9 says, neither was the man created for the woman, but the woman for the man. For this cause, because the woman was made for the man, for this cause ought the woman to have power on her head. In other words, she needs to be under the authority, right? She needs to be under authority to her man, why? Because of the angels. Now we'll look at this, we'll see that, that really what we're talking about here is how it all went bad in the garden. Here a wife comes, she, she abandons authority to her husband, she abandons submission to the man that God placed in her life and the word of God and she's listening to, she's submitting to another authority. She's listening to a deceiving spirit and as a result she ends up in the bondage of sin. He says, you need to have power on your head because of the angels. There are deceiving spirits. Again, 1 Timothy 2, verses 14 and 15. Eve was deceived, Adam was not deceived, but she's saved in childbearing. Okay, in other words, a woman does fulfill uh, the role of a helpmeet, but watch this. If they continue in faith and charity and holiness with sobriety, make sure that you're listening to the right message. As a help me, are you listening? Are you under the right, are you under submission to the word of God? Are you in submission in the role that God made you for or are you listening to another spirit? The man, this is part of this curse, the man has the responsibility to lead and protect their wives. Uh, protect is your next blank. Adam must protect, he must provide. So her desire is to Adam and he rules over her. He is the head of the household. This is why submission is so critical. We talked about this Tuesday night in our prayer ministry meeting, okay? So people say, oh, this is, this is, this is just how the patriarchy gets rolling and, and uh, keeps women in bondage and okay, no, that's not God's heart at all, okay? God wants to make sure everybody is taken care of. Uh, the, the scripture's very clear that the head of the woman is the man and the head of the man is Christ. This is why we, said, we saw this, we said this last Tuesday from Colossians chapter three. Wives, submit yourselves to who? Well, it's to your own husbands, how? 
as it is fit in the Lord. That's how a wife submits. And so the example that we gave Tuesday night is when would you not submit to your husband? Well, again, this is a silly illustration, but you know, your husband comes to you and says, honey, uh, the budget is really tight this month, and so what I need you to do is put your red dress on and go work the street corner because daddy needs some cash. Would you submit to that? Well, wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands. No, only as it is fit in the Lord. Is your husband in submission to the Lord? Is he ruling in the word? Well, then absolutely, that's your covering. That's God's covering over your life. If he's calling you to live in a way, in such a way that's rebellion against the Lord, well, you don't submit to that. Moreover, we saw that it's critical for husbands and wives to recognize that God expects us to submit to one another. Again, we said every, every husband loves, verses 22 through 24, Ephesians 5. Wives, submit yourselves to your husband. Okay, but any husband that says to his wife, you have to submit to me, that's bad leadership. That's bad leadership. Okay, I'm a pastor here at MBT. I'm an under-shepherd. Who's my head? Who's in charge of MBT? Well, it's the Lord Jesus Christ. It's the word of Christ. But Peter, in his epistle, he calls the pastor an under-shepherd. So my rule at MBT ends at the point of your voluntary submission. In other words, I can't make you want right, I can't make you do right, all I can do is say what's right. All I can do is say what the Bible says. All I can do is lead the way the Bible directs. Your submission is voluntary. My ability to lead you stops at the place where you're willing to submit. Does that make sense? I can't force your submission. This is, the way, this is the way relationships work. Submission is always voluntary. If, if, if I have to force your submission, I'm not leading you, I'm actually abusing you. If I, have to, if I have to force your submission, right, I am actually lording over you and, it, and, it, and it's not designed to work that way. Men have the responsibility to provide for their wives, but the wives need to be with their husband. Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord. Why? Well, because, and this is the point that the Bible makes. Look at 2 Corinthians 11 again. 2 Corinthians 11, verses 1 through 3. <clears throat> Satan was messing with another man's wife. Okay, that's how humanity started. From the beginning, you've got Satan messing with another man's wife. 2 Corinthians 11, verse one, Paul says to the church, would to God you would bear with me a little in my folly and indeed bear with me, for I am jealous over you with godly jealousy. I'm jealous in God's place, that's what Paul says. Why? I have espoused you, right? I've seen you engaged to one husband, that I may present you as a chaste virgin to Christ. But I fear lest by any means, as the serpent beguiled Eve through his subtlety, so your mind should be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. Paul's saying, hey, you need to listen to what I'm saying because you have a bridegroom. I wanna present you, church, to the Lord Jesus Christ as his bride. But I wanna present you a chaste bride. I don't wanna present someone who's been whoring after other gods. Do you see the problem? And the problem is, he gives, he invokes the example of Adam and Eve. Eve was listening to the wrong man. The serpent beguiled her, he said in verse three. I fear 
lest by any means, just like as the serpent beguiled Eve through his subtlety, so your mind should be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. You're either gonna follow the word of Christ or not. The word of Christ is not hard. What's hard is when we don't wanna submit to the word of Christ. So Paul, Paul, Paul is saying, Eve got beguiled, that's how she got messed up. Okay, you need to know this, biblically, beguiled. Anytime you see that word beguiled in scripture, it is connected to sexual impropriety. Every time. There is sexual impropriety connected to the word beguiled. Well, so Eve was beguiled by Satan. Did that mean there was sexual impropriety? Well, in a sense, yes. Okay, this is, uh, this is how God puts it. God's people worshiping other gods. God said, let me put this in a way that you can understand it. You're cheating on me. You're whoring after other gods. You're supposed to be mine and mine alone. For example, Numbers 25, verse 18. What do the heathen do? They vex you with their wiles. They're wily. Wherewith they beguiled you in the matter of Peor. What happened? Well, okay, so Israel can't be cursed outright. Nobody can make God curse them, but um, Balaam had this incredible idea. What if we cause them to act in such a way so that they curse themselves? And so can we get these Midianite hotties to go out and, and lure the Israelites into fornication? Uh, can, can, can we do that? Maybe that would work in causing them to be judged by God. And so through fornication, they rebelled against God. Peter describes it this way in 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 14. Having eyes full of adultery that cannot cease from sin, here's that word again, beguiling unstable souls. So eyes full of adultery, people that cannot cease from sin, beguile unstable souls, and heart they have exercised with covetous practices, cursed children, which have forsaken the right way and are gone astray, following the way of Balaam, the son of Bosor, who loved the wages of unrighteousness. So the, the prince hires Balaam to curse God's children. He can't do it. They're blessed. They're God's blessed people. So what he does is he says, he just basically, he wants that money, so he tells the prince, how to beguile Israel so that God will have to deal with them harshly. So out come the Midianite hotties, they, in a wily way, in a beguiling way, they lead Israel into fornication, and there is God now spanking Israel's tail in the wilderness. What? They're cheating on him with the Midianites through Midianite idolatry. So with this, okay, Eve is beguiled by Satan. Does that mean that she committed adultery with Satan. Well, the text doesn't explicitly say that, but you can't miss the connection, right? Notice the immediate context of Genesis 3.13. And the Lord said unto the woman, what is this that thou hast done? And the woman said, the servant beguiled me and we committed adultery. Is that what it says? The serpent beguiled me and, and what happened as a result of her being beguiled? She ate the fruit. Okay, but again, what's happening? She's submitting to the wrong man, and I did eat. Something is wrong. This is Adam's wife, but she's listening to, she's submitting to a deceiving spirit. And you say, well, you know, how could it be possible that a human could be 
physically intimate with a celestial being. We'll wait till we get to Genesis chapter six. Holy smokes, I mean, there it is on like Donkey Kong. You've got celestial sons cohabiting with women in Genesis six and they're producing their offspring or giants, bullies, tyrants, Nephilim in the earth. So again, 1 Corinthians 11. Paul says, I wanna present you a chaste virgin. I don't want you to be beguiled like Eve was beguiled by Satan. Verse eight says, for the man is not of the woman and the woman is of the man. Neither was the man created for the woman but the woman for the man. For this cause ought the woman to have power on her, on, on her head. And then this chilling statement because of the angels. A lot of people will give commentary on that and say, well, angels are everywhere and they're watching everything that we're doing and it's offensive to an angel if a wife, right, if a woman is in rebellion against her husband. Um, I suppose that could mean something, but then wait till we get to Genesis chapter six. You've got sons of God leading humanity in rebellion against God, and they do it through their deceiving spirits, and they're causing women to marry these celestial beings. She should have power on her head because of the angels. There are lying, deceiving spirits. This is why as pastors, we will tell our young women, okay? We will say to the young women, there's guys coming in here all the time. And you're like, he's really into you and you think he might be the one, but you don't know. Just have him come talk to one of us because we can smell a butt sniffer from a mile away. Just have him come talk to us because if he's got another spirit, we're gonna see it and we'll, we'll warn you off of some dog some trash bag, busting, leg humping dog who cares only about himself and not the things of God. Uh, let us talk to him. And some of you, right, some of you, maybe you're here just to see what you can consume for yourself. Uh, if we get on your trail, you're either gonna get right or get out, man, because you, you can't have our girls, right? We wanna see our girls moving forward in faith. And so, sister, always get a second opinion, okay? That's just good practice. Always find, uh, talk to your dad, talk to grandpa, talk to a pastor. Uh, get insight on that dude that claims that he loves you so much. Oh baby, you, you got what I need. Man, if you need a hug and you need love, uh, just send him to me, okay? Send him to me, sis. I'll hug him. He won't, he won't get to have fornication with me, okay? It's not gonna work. But then notice this, watch verse 11. Neither is the man without the, nevertheless, neither is the man without the woman. Neither is the woman without the man in the Lord. For as the woman is of the man, even so is the man also by the woman. But all things, but all, but all things of God. Okay, this is why Ephesians 5, 21 is in your Bible. In Christ there's neither male nor female. Just one new man. Ephesians 5.21, submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of the Lord. This is why in Colossians chapter three, wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as it is fit in the Lord. Why? You don't, you don't submit to anything, anyone that's, that's pushing you into rebellion against God. Ephesians, uh, guys, submit to my authority. You must submit to my authority. Okay, terrible leader. Do you have the capacity to recognize your need to submit to your wife? Ephesians 5.21 is in your Bible, submitting yourselves one to another. 
How? In the fear of the Lord, as it is fit in the Lord. Paul's pointing out to the men, you wouldn't be here without your mama, and none of us would be here without the Lord. Okay, verse 17, now we move on to Adam. And to Adam, unto Adam he said, because thou hast hearkened unto the voice of thy wife and hast eaten of the tree of which I commanded thee, saying, thou shalt not eat of it. Cursed is the ground for thy sake. In sorrow shalt thou eat of it all the days of thy life. Thorns also and thistles shall it bring forth to thee. And thou shalt eat of the herb of the field. In the sweat of thy face shalt thou eat bread till thou return to the ground. For out of it thou wast taken, for dust thou art, and unto dust shalt thou return. So to the, to the woman, to Eve, it's woe and want toward her husband. But to the man, it's work. Work is your next blank. See, Adam listened to Eve instead of God. In that moment where she took the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, she's a strange woman to him. And instead of listening to God, he's listening to this strange woman. And so now, because he came out of the ground, God says, your life is no longer sourced in me. The ground is cursed because of sin. Okay, Romans 8.22 says the whole of creation is groaning. And now Adam has to be a, have you ever tried to grow a garden? It doesn't just happen, okay? You don't just get fruit out of a garden. It's hard work, right? It's all rigged to be hard work. If you get fruit out of a garden, it's because you are sweating. There's no easy way to do it. But Adam has to provide bread for his house, so he's gonna, he's, his life will be given to heavy labor. That's why men that won't work are the worst. They're, the, they're just the worst. The Bible says they're worse than an unbeliever. 1 Timothy 5.8 says, if any provide not for his own, especially for those of his own house, he hath denied the faith and is worse than an infidel. Get a job, you bum, right? That's the message of the Bible. If you won't work, if you don't wanna work, well then you don't wanna eat. First Thessalonians is very clear. If you don't work, you want a sandwich, get a job. Now the whole earth, okay, so the ground is cursed. Creation knows that it's cursed. That curse isn't lifted until Christ comes back and removes it at his second coming. Romans 8.22 says, we know that the whole creation groaneth and travaileth in pain together until now. What's creation? It's waiting for the manifestation of the sons of God. It's waiting for the second coming of Christ to remove the curse. Longevity of years is restored. The ground is no longer cursed over sin. The lion and the lamb lay down together, right? Kids can play with a serpent and not worry about their life. Uh, This will be the day of the Lord. Until then, man has to endure hard labor just to exist. Now, we live in an industrialized society and, and you can actually pay for your bread. You don't actually have to go plant it, cultivate it, harvest it, prepare it, grind it, uh, knead it, bake it. You, know, you, don't have to, you don't have to go through all of those steps. You can just hand somebody some cash and that cash, you got that from your job where you sat in front of some machine and you did this all day um, and you, you're in air conditioning. Okay, so there's, just recognize you live in a unique time in human history. If you're eating bread, you're supposed to be sweating. 
So if you live your life without sweating, you're, 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 you're trying to circumvent the curse and the curse just comes around the horn and gets you on the other side and then you die in your 40s from type two diabetes. You see how that works? Make men, right? We're made to sweat, so get to work. Okay, now at the end of all, lifetime of hard work and then you die. This is, uh, this is where the phrase comes from, your life sucks and then you die. You just work your tail off and then you still die because he ate the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Judgment of physical death is pronounced on Adam. Do you see that? You sweat to eat, verse 19, till thou return unto the ground, for out of it wast thou taken. For dust thou art, and unto dust shalt thou return. Ashes to ashes, and dust to dust. I was doing a funeral. And uh, we're at the graveside, and, and I've put some time into my graveside message. They need to be short, so every word is measured, and, and, uh, and I'm going through, and I'm giving comfort to the, the body that we're putting in the ground. He's a believer. He won't stay in the ground at the return of Christ. He, this body will be resurrected. And the funeral director, it was a lady, she could tell that I was, I was wrapping it up, you know? I was coming to the end, and so, so right there in front of the, the corpse, the God, the family, everybody, she starts whispering really loud, say the ashes to ashes. <laughs> I'm like, I got my thing here. I, 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 you know, I'm, I'm kind of, I'm, I'm rolling new school. So I'm, I'm, I'm getting ready to pray. Say the, say the ashes to ashes. So the funeral director is mad because I won't end the graveside with, Ashes to ashes, dust to dust. Lord, into your hands we commend this soul to your gentle love, care, and keep. Okay, I'm like, so the whole time I'm praying, closing out, she's going, see the ashes to ashes. Like somehow he's gonna turn into a zombie or something if I don't pronounce that right over him, you know? He's gonna come up out of that grave. So in Jesus' name, amen. And then I looked over at the funeral director and I said, you say it. (laughs) (laughs) But, I mean, had I not gotten up on the wrong side of the bed that morning, that would be appropriate. That's a very appropriate thing to say at a graveside because that's exactly what's happening, isn't it? Back to the ground, the body goes. We came from the ground, we return to it. Okay, that's a big picture. For the believer, what goes in the ground does not stay in the ground, does it? Um, But thank God for Jesus. You know, the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 15, in Adam all die. Adam passes on the contagion of sin to all of humanity. Thank God for the second Adam, the last Adam, because what he did is he went into the ground. He had to go back through his death, his burial. He goes back to the dust of the earth in order to get life for us. John 12, 24 shows an incredible picture. Verily, verily I say unto you, except a corn of wheat fall into the ground and die, it abideth alone. Until that thing gets a death and a burial, all you have is one corn of wheat. But if it die, it bringeth forth much fruit. Man, that's exactly what happened with corn Jesus, huh? A corn of God goes into the ground. Christ didn't want to abide alone, so he took our sin, 
He entered into our, I mean, he was reckoned our sin at Calvary. He enters into our death, the death that was because of our sin, and now he doesn't abide alone. He rose to eternal life. When I was 12 years old, I heard and understood the gospel for the first time, really. I I saw the exceeding sinfulness of my sin, and I cried out to God for mercy and forgiveness and for eternal life. And so shall I ever be with the Lord. Christ will never abide alone. He forever will have a bride because he was willing to be put in the ground. Okay, real quick and we'll finish up. Verses 20 through 24. Adam called his wife's name Eve because she was the mother of all living. Okay, now we see God's, a picture of God's salvation. Adam has just entered into sin and by sin, separation from God. Now God's making a way. The first thing I want you to see in verse 20, Adam calling his wife Eve, this is a creed, right? This is a confession of faith in God. See, what had happened was Eve had just initiated the judgment of death. Right, death is pronounced on humanity. And God promised that her seed would bring life. And so, Adam believes the word of the Lord. That's why he names her Eve. He names Eve the mother of all living. This is his confession of faith in God's promise. Do you see that? Eve just brought death upon humanity and God says out of her will come all life. So Adam agrees with God. This is the picture of salvation by the grace of God. The word of God comes and you believe on it. You know the Bible says in Romans 10, faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And when you hear the word of God, whenever you confess with your mouth, you believe with your heart and you confess with your mouth, you're born again. Isn't that what Romans 10 teaches? So what happened? Adam heard the promise of God's word. He believed on it with his heart and he confesses it with his mouth. Okay, God says, God says, out of you will come a redeemer. Out of you will come seed. So I'm gonna name you Eve because I believe God. I believe, I'm believing on the word of God and so I'm naming you Eve because you're the mother of all living. Out of you will come a seed and salvation. And with that then, Eve pictures the church, doesn't she? Uh, Just like the first Adam has a bride, and out of that bride comes the living, so also Christ has a bride. The church today is the mother of all living, isn't she? We have a responsibility to bear the seed of God's word. We preach the gospel, and everyone who believes on the gospel of Jesus Christ, the seed of God's word, takes root in their heart, and it bears fruit to salvation. Do you see that? Christ has a bride, and, and, and in a very real way, she's the mother of all living. Picturing this, you know, Paul's explaining this to the church at Galatia, and he makes this analogy, and he says, but Jerusalem, which is above, is free, which is the mother of us all. That's just how it works. You gotta believe on the gospel in order to be born again. Verse 21, unto Adam also and to his wife did the Lord God make coats of skins and clothe them. So Adam first confesses, right? He believes on the word of the Lord and then he's covered. Adam's covering for sin, verse 21. You know, Adam, when he sinned, he tried to cover up his sin, but God provided a covering. It's a big difference. Uh, We know an animal is killed here, right? Unto Adam and to his wife did the Lord God make coats of skins. If they're wearing a skin, 
That means some animal died. What animal was it? Well, it doesn't say, but I think Abel knew. In the very next chapter, we're gonna see Abel sacrificing a lamb, because that's the picture. With all my heart, I believe a lamb died that day in Genesis chapter three, because it's a picture of salvation. Uh, The lamb of God has to be sacrificed in order for us to have a covering for our sin. So we don't have time to break it down, but I want you to see Christ as the Lamb of God throughout scripture, and so the outline's there for you in your notes. He's first prophesied as the Lamb of God in Genesis 22, but you'll see him glorified as the Lamb of God in Revelation 5. So God makes the, the Lamb is sacrificed so that they can be covered by the innocent. And that animal, that provides the skin to cover the nakedness of Adam and Eve, that animal didn't do anything wrong. It was, the innocent blood had to be shed in order for the sin, the nakedness of sin to be dealt with. So God not only makes the clothing, but he clothed them. Notice they don't clothe themselves, God clothed them. So that's a picture of grace without works. Man tries to cover himself, but it doesn't work. It's fig leaves. They wither in the presence of the sun. So God has to clothe us. Now man's confession is necessary, right? Don't miss the picture. Adam agrees with God. He names Eve the mother of all living. He believes on the word of God. That's the picture. And then the next thing that happens is he's clothed by God. Well, that's what happened at salvation. I believe the gospel of Jesus Christ and God clothed me with the righteousness of Christ. But in order for that to happen, innocent blood had to be shed to deal with my sin. That's the gospel. I can't clothe myself, God has to clothe me, but I have to believe on the gospel. I have to believe on the word of God in order to receive it. Is everybody with me on this? Don't miss that picture. But get this down in your notes, because here's how Satan and God work. Satan has always worked, he's always at work, to to see you naked before God, naked in sin and shame. Satan unclothes, but God reclothes. I don't know if that's a word, but we're gonna make it one this morning. God reclothes humanity. I am today clothed, not in my own righteousness, not in the the fig leaves of my best effort. I am clothed in the righteousness of Christ himself. God took me and put me in the person of Christ. God made him, 2 Corinthians 5, 21, Jesus, the Lamb of God, who knew no sin. God made him to be my sin, that I might be made his righteousness. Man, how awesome is that? I don't stand before God naked and ashamed. I don't stand before God in my own righteousness and the fig leaves that I make. I stand before God in the righteousness of Christ himself. It's just as if I'd never sinned. Thank God for Jesus. Okay, real quick, we'll wrap it up with this. Genesis 3.22, and the Lord God said, behold, the man has become as one of us to know good and evil, and now, lest he put forth his hand, and take also of the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore the Lord God sent him forth from the garden of Eden to till the ground from whence he was taken. So he drove out the man and placed at the east of the garden of Eden cherubims, plural, cherubs, right, cherubims, and a flaming sword which turned every way to keep the way of the tree of life. So we saw uh, Adam's creed, and then the covering, but now we're gonna see God's concern. Okay, what's God worried about? 
Well, the tree of, the, of, the tree of life pictures eternal security, doesn't it? It's actually a source of eternal life. The tree of life would provide physical eternal life, and you see it, right? It's uh, now since been transplanted from the Garden of Eden. We'll talk about that in just a sec. But it's in the New Jerusalem, okay? It's a tree of life that will be for the healing of the nations. It gives physical life eternally. Here's the problem, Adam is spiritually dead. Is he has a covering for his nakedness, for his sin, but the Lamb of God has not come yet to take away sin, to wash the sin away and restore man as a son of God. So man's spiritually dead. If he eats the tree of life, that's gonna be disastrous. He'll be forever living in sinful condition and that can't happen because God can't go back on his word, right? He created man and woman with eternal life in the image of God, but now that image has been lost. They're in rebellion against God. They cannot eat of the fruit of the tree of life because it'll give them eternal life and he won't go back on his word. Psalm 138, two says, I will worship toward thy holy temple and praise thy name for thy loving kindness and for thy truth, for thou hast magnified thy word above all thy name. God does not go back on his word. It's a tree of life. So Adam and Eve cannot eat from it. Do you see that? So what does he do? Well, he drives them out of the garden. And notice, God sends him forth from the garden of Eden. So he drove out the man and he placed at the east of the Garden of Eden cherubims. So Adam is leaving Eden eastward. And as you study your Bible, okay, so Adam's traveling east. Everything you see God doing geographically, the way God works, you'll see him moving east to west. And here's Adam going out from the presence of the Lord. He's going west to east. Do you see that? So eastward, there's a guard. And again, the cherubim, you might think about you know, Lucifer himself. He was the anointed cherub that covers the throne of God. Cherubim are guardians, okay? That's what you see them uh, as, they're a sentinel, they're a guardian in the word of God. And so cherubims are guarding the way to the tree of life and a flaming sword that turns every way. So, 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 you know, you, 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 you hear legends, right? Uh, so-and-so, great explorer, found the tree of life and they're still alive to this day. Bull pooey. Put any animal you want in front of pooey. Cat pooey, dog pooey. It's, no, that did not happen because cherubims, angels are greater in power and might. And cherubims are the guardians of the celestial beings, okay? They are the baddest mammer jammers, okay? Lucifer was a cherubim. He is the pinnacle of Christ's creation. Uh, these are bad mammer jammers. No way did a dude eat the fruit of the tree of life. Didn't happen. But more than that, there's a flaming sword that turns every way. That's like the word of God. The word of God is sharper than any two-edged sword. And uh, you're either gonna find eternal life through it or you're gonna be refused eternal life through it. I tell you man, every false gospel has some teaching from scripture. The word of God is sharper than any two-edged sword. It is a 
perceiver. It is a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart, and it will separate you from yourself. And you will either submit to this sword, or in rebellion, you will die on this sword. But make no mistake about it, it's the sword of the Lord that determines man's destiny. Will you live or will you die? Will you believe or will you reject? See, it's keeping the way of the tree of life. So the picture there is, do we believe on it or do we reject it and does the word keep us from life? Lord, help us. Now again, the tree of life, it's, it's guarded so that man cannot reach it at the beginning of our Bible, but in Revelation 22, all can come and eat of it freely. So that shows that the Bible is just one big giant circle, okay? By the time we get to the end of the Bible, you find out that that there has to be a new heaven and a new earth. So just like in the first creation, Genesis 1-1, in the beginning God created the heaven and the earth, Job 38 says the sons of God saw it, they shout for joy, they sing, they give praise to God. Well that same thing's gonna happen again. History will absolutely repeat itself. You see Revelation 21 and 22, there's a new heaven, there's a new earth. Guess what, sons of God? We will be there, we will see that, and we will be shouting for joy. Uh, where we began in this study, we find out, we end up right back there in Genesis 20, or in Revelation 22. The Bible is a complete circle. I'll leave you with this last thought. Cherubims are guarding the way to the tree of life. Why? Well, Lucifer, again, Lucifer is the anointed cherub. He is the pinnacle of creation. Lucifer absolutely is a bad mammer jammer. Any angel, angels are greater in power and might, any angel, any rank and file angel could have kept Adam and Eve from ever getting close to that tree. Don't you know there was one other being that wanted the tree of life that would have loved to have seen man continue forever in rebellion against God? Do you see that? Just like Lucifer wanted, Satan wanted the body of Moses, he had an objective with that concerning Israel. He wanted the tree of life. He's a cherub. I mean, in terms of creation, he's as bad to the bone as God ever made. So what happens? Well, we'll just put cherubims guarding the tree of life. Do you see that? No matter what Satan tries, God's always got him outflanked. You say, I'm a really, I'm a, you know, I'm a really good fighter. I'm a great warrior. Not against 10 dudes, you're not. You will get your tail kicked. Does that make sense? So no matter what Lucifer's up to, God's already got him outflanked. Man can't make it, but no single cherub is gonna get anywhere close to that tree as well. Does this make sense? Okay, we covered a ton. Uh, We crammed a lot into this service, and so I wanna end this way. Uh, You are dismissed unless you have a question or you need prayer or you need counsel.